bore you with all that I have learned about it, but one of the things I've discovered is that it is a team sport unlike any other. It's critical that you be a good team player, an ideal team player, in order for your team to be successful. Uh, Here's a statement on the website from a local rowing club. It's the River City Rowing here in West Sacramento. And here's what it says. It says, if you have ever watched Olympic rowing, you will notice that everything is together, in time, controlled, and synchronized. Everyone in the boat is working as one system, one unit, one team. Then it goes on and says this, teamwork is the only way to get the boat moving properly. And there is no hierarchy in rowing. You see, the ideal team player in rowing, the ideal team player strives for synchronization within the boat. They seek to be technically as flawless as possible in their strokes and in their rowing. Their goal, in many respects, is to work smarter, not harder, even though it takes incredible physical um, strength to do the sport. The ideal team player seeks to be one with his or her fellow rowers. And this is what is the most interesting to me, is that they seek a continuous, fluid rowing motion in which there is no discernible end or beginning in the rowing. It takes everybody committed to this goal and working at it tirelessly in order for them to be successful. Crew is a great picture of what it looks like to be a team player, to be an ideal team player. And as I think about this idea, I I wonder what does it look like to be an ideal team player when it comes to being a Jesus follower? I mean, as a disciple of Jesus, as a disciple, as a Jesus follower, what does the team player look like? Jesus defined for us one of the big wins in this. We looked at that in our last series when he said that the world will know that you are on my team, right? Isn't that what he said? I mean, his words were, they'll know you are my what? What was the word? My disciples. You'll know, the world will know you're on my team. You're my disciples by how well you love one another. In other words, how well you act in relationships. And so what I want to do is over the next few weeks, we're going to mine out of the Bible principles to help us navigate relationships so that we can be an ideal team player. Because the reality is this, and I think we understand this, what truly matters is the relationships we nurture and develop. You figure that out, haven't you? You have those moments in your life where you finally, you're just pausing, whatever the case may be, as Derek was talking about, Pastor Derek, and he was just reflecting. And there's moments you have, and you're like, you're like, man, it's all about relationship. In fact, the best way to make disciples, isn't that our marching orders as Jesus followers? Jesus said in Matthew 28, go make disciples. He said the best way to make disciples, because we're to love one another, the best way to do it is in the context of relationships. Now, I understand for some of us, uh, we have some great relationships. Some of you have some just really good, solid relationships, and we have those. Some of our relationships are good, and some of them are not so good. Some of them are bad. And then some of us, we have some relationships where they're just downright ugly. And I think you understand and know what I'm talking about. Maybe some are here this morning, and you've done life with somebody. Maybe it was a, a roommate or a coworker or life group friends and People were close to you at one point in life, but then something happened. Maybe words were said. 
Maybe an event occurred, something happened, and that relationship separated, and it broke off. It happened. Some of you, or somebody you know, might be in an unhealthy, you know, dating relationship. And at at one point, you just kind of said, you know what, I'm going to drop my standards. And you stopped looking for Mr. and Mrs. Right, and you were willing to settle for Mr. or Mrs. Could be worse. And you've come to the realization that Mr. or Mrs. could be worse is just not good for you. And you know it's not heading anywhere. And you're wondering, how do I navigate this? What do I do? How do I proceed? For some of you, your marriage is incredible. It's wonderful. But for others, it's gone from romantic and wonderful to just being a daily grind. The busyness of life has pushed the romance out. It's pushed the passion out and it's left you empty and longing and you're wondering, is this really what it's all about? Is this it? Or maybe you're here this morning and you're in the midst of a relational crisis. It's so bad and ugly for you. There's relational crisis happening right now. Maybe with your children, whether young children or teenagers or maybe even your adult children. Or for some of you, maybe you're in a relational crisis right now with your adult parents. So whether your relationships are all good right now or they're not so good or they're just downright ugly, How do you and I be, you know, like a relational rock star? How do we do that? How do we be this ideal team player? How do we navigate this area that Jesus said to you and I is critically important and fundamental to being his follower, to being his disciple? Well, it all starts with the foundation. You see, without a strong foundation, our relationships aren't going to thrive, are they? And in fact, they may not even survive. Foundations are critical for building something that will last. Next year, I'm going to be taking a group of you from LifePoint to Israel. And we got a few more weeks before we got to make some final, final decisions. So if you're still thinking about it, we'd love to have you join us. But when we go to Israel, we are going to go to the old city. And in the old city, we're going to go to the Temple Mount. And the Temple Mount was, something, was, a, was a place that was built by Herod the Great about 2,000 years ago. And he built this, and on top of it, they placed the, the temple, the Jewish temple. And when we go there, we are going to walk to the southwest corner, and, and, and we're going to spend some time there. They've recently excavated all of that area. And we're going to see the foundation stones that were, that were set up by Herod, for that entire Temple Mount. What you need to know, the most important point of all of the Temple Mount in terms of the, the, the whole Temple Mount being solid and, 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 and in a good situation, it's all based on the southwest corner. The way the topography works and all of that, that is the most critical corner. Today we have on top of the Temple Mount, you have the Dome of the Rock, the El Oscar Mosque. It's a huge area. Hundreds of thousands of people can fit there. Those foundation stones are critical. Those stones, when you go there, if you go there, you'll discover and you'll see them. They're 40, almost 40 feet long. They're about eight feet deep and anywhere from four to six feet tall. They weigh approximately 80 tons, 160,000 pounds. For perspective, you know, we have our gray whales off of our west coast. That's equivalent. Each stone is equivalent to about three gray whales. Huge stones. They use no mortar with those stones. The entire Temple Mount area is strong 
because of those corner foundation stones. If you and I want to be ideal team players, then these building blocks, these foundation building blocks that we're talking about today set the tone. They're critical for you and I to be able to build great relationships. So what's the first building block? What's that first cornerstone? What's that, you know, 40 foot long by eight feet by four to six feet? What is that first stone to lay a great foundation for you and I to have great relationships? And the first one is this word value value. You see, the ideal team player ascribes value. I heard a story about a guy who walked into an antique shop. It actually happened to be here in San Francisco. And he he would go to the antique shops and look for, you know, something that's good and precious. Uh, But this antique shop just had a whole lot of junk. There wasn't anything there of much value. And he was kind of bummed by that. But as he was walking around, he looked down and he noticed that there was a little saucer on the ground that was filled with a little bit of milk and a cat lying next to it. He bent down, and upon closer examination of the saucer, he discovered that, oh my goodness, that saucer's from the Ming Dynasty in China. That saucer is literally worth millions of dollars. And then he's starting to think, oh my goodness, this is a gold mine, and the owner doesn't even know it. I mean, he's letting the cat drink out of this thing, right? So he's like, how do I get this? How do I get it? So he comes up with this plan. He says, I know what I'm going to do. So he says to the owner, he says, hey, I like your shop. I haven't found really anything I like per se today. Maybe I'll come back. But man, I got to tell you, this cat you have, it just reminds me of a cat I once had. And I'd love to buy your cat from you. And the guy's like, you know, my cat's not for sale. He's like, man, I understand. But just like looking at the cat, the colors, its eyes, it's like the same cat I had growing up. I'd love to buy it from you right now. In fact, I'll give you $200 cash right now if I can buy this cat from you. The guy said, you'll give me $200 for that cat. Man says, yes. He says, all right, sold. So he pays him the $200. As he walks out of the store, again, he's thinking about this saucer. He walks out of the store, he gets to the door. And as he gets to the door, he's like, you know what? I'm going to need to be able to feed the cat, you know, some milk and stuff. And, you know, you already got that saucer there and the cat's familiar with it. Any chance I could have that saucer with it? And the man, of the owner of the store said, oh, no, 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 I can't give you that saucer. That saucer is from the Ming Dynasty. (laughs) It's worth millions of dollars. But you know, it's funny. Ever since we got the saucer, business has been up. I've sold 37 cats in two months. (laughs) (laughs) The ability to assign value is a tremendous gift. And what's amazing is this, is from the very first page, the very first page, in fact, of the Bible, it talks about the value that's assigned to human beings. In fact, it's safe to say that every human being is is worth a far more value than that saucer from the Ming Dynasty. You know what that means? That means that the people we interact with, that we argue with, that we struggle with, Maybe we don't have the good in certain relationships. It's bad or it's ugly. They've all been assigned tremendous value by God. And yet, throughout human history, we have examples of how we have forgot the value of human life. Isn't that true? I mean, we can think about our own country. Right now, I'm I'm reading this book, Frederick Douglass, about, about his life and and in fact, I'm talking to someone at the first service, there a couple of people here at church are actually reading this book. And 
slave, American slavery, but of course any slavery, but American slavery was awful beyond description. I'm not going to go through and read it all. But I asked myself the question, man, how? How do we allow this? How are slaves treated this way? Why in the world did the Christian slave owners do this? Why did Christians allow this? What did they miss? What did they miss in Scripture that led to the atrocious treatment of slaves? I'll simply read one quote that uh, the author writes, and this is uh, from Mark Twain. And Mark Twain said this. He said, speaking of slavery, he said, I had no aversion to slavery growing up. I was not aware that there was anything wrong about it. No one arraigned it in my hearing. The local paper said nothing against it. The local pulpit taught us that God approved it, that it was a holy thing, and that the doubter need only look in the Bible if he wished to settle his mind. That's just one little example. And then you read the book, and it just breaks your heart. It's, it's like I'm still kind of recovering from what I've been reading. How's that possible? What did they miss? Well, I'm going to talk a little bit about what they missed, what's important for us as we think about relationships. And the key that it starts with, the foundational stone is this idea of value. Turn to Genesis chapter 1. I want to look at a couple of verses together here. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It's the first book of the Bible. And it lays the foundation of relationship. And the foundation of relationship is value. And on the very first page of the Bible, the very first words, it says this. And you may even know this maybe without looking or reading it. In the beginning, God what? In the beginning, God created. That word created is very important for us to understand. It's significant. It goes on and says he created the heavens and the earth. Verse 21 goes on and says he created. That he created conscious life. And then look at verse 27. And I want you to notice the word that's used three times. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. What's the deal? Three repetitions of the significant word that God created when he talks about mankind, humankind. Turn over a couple more pages to Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5, and I want to pick up in verse 1. Let's check out what it says. Verse 1, it says, notice again. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them, male and female, and blessed them. And he named them mankind when they were created. How many times was the word created used in that verse? How many times? Three times. How many times in verse 27? How many times? Three times. Why? What's going on here? Why is God doing this? Well, when God talks about creating human beings in his image, not creating, you know, heavens and the earth and, 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 you know, animal life or plant life, but when he talks about creating us in his image, in his likeness, it's like he's putting an exclamation point on the fact that God created human beings with significance, with, with worth, and with value. You see, the very first thing that you and I have to settle in our hearts if we are going to be people who understand that relationships matter, then we have to understand that human beings are fundamentally valuable. Why? Made in the very image of God. So if you're going to be an ideal team player, and you have lots of teams you're on, right? 
You have your own family, and some of you, your family's so big, you can, you know, field a basketball team. Some of your family, you might even be able to field a baseball team, right? So you have your home, you know, you know, Team Delfs, right? Yeah, go team. You know, you have your team that maybe you work with. You know, you don't, maybe you don't even call them staff. You call them team members. Maybe you're on a sports team or an athletic team or your kids are. We're on various teams. And the ideal team player starts with this value of uh, this idea, this foundation stone of ascribing value to all human beings. So that boss who's breathing down your neck and you're struggling with, created in the image of God. That coworker that's driving you nuts, they have certain traits or qualities or characteristics that like you just can't stand, created in the image of God. That homeless person, the rich person, the poor person, the Democrat, the Republican, the white, yellow, black, red, brown, all created in the image of God. And this is so rudimentary, but it's critical. And we've missed that throughout human history. We've missed that everyone has significance. So it doesn't matter how we voted. It doesn't matter if we're here legally or not. It doesn't matter if we pay taxes. We're all made in the image of God. And if I'm going to be a team player, I will ascribe value to all. Though we're made in the image of God, James gets real practical. And James says, I, you're made in the image of God, but, but there's ways in which we don't always act like we're in the image of God. And, he, and James says, one of the practical ways that you can tell how this plays out, whether or not you understand the idea of value, is by how you speak, by how you communicate. James chapter 3, verse 9 says, With our tongues we bless God our Father. With the same tongues we curse the very men and women made in his what? Made in his image or likeness. God's reminding, James reminding us, taking us back to Genesis 1. How can you with this mouth that you praise God, that you worship God, that you lift the Lord up, how with that same mouth can you curse another person, speak badly about them, say something derogatory about them, put them down? How can you do that with the same mouth? He goes on, verse 10 says, out of the same mouth come praising and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. You see, when we speak bad of others, we're in a sense saying, I am not recognizing that they're made in the image of God and the likeness of God. Therefore, I am essentially saying they do not have value. Can you imagine thinking about the very words you say that that is determining your belief on whether or not you understand that the foundation stone of all human relationships is value? What you say matters. Proverbs 15.4 says the soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. The ideal team player speaks words of life because that brings life to others. It shows another person they have tremendous value. Ephesians 4.29 says don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit them so i have a challenge for you this week just practically because james one of the great things about the book of james is it gets real practical practically this week how about you choose to speak well of others every single day for a week purposefully intentionally showing that people have value that all people have value and you pick a number five people ten people whatever it is 
Five people a day, 10 people a day. You pick a number and say, I will, by the words I speak, ascribe value to them. I'd even encourage you to pick that person who drives you nuts. That person who drives you crazy. That person you can't get along with. And speak words of life and encouragement. So the first building block of great relationships is value. That we ascribe value to all people by our words and, of course, ultimately by our action. The second building block for great relationships, that cornerstone, that like in Israel, those big giant stones, the second building, foundational building block is respect. Respect. R-E-S-P-I-C-T. <laughs> if you watch the news, you'll get it. If not, the ideal team player demonstrates respect. So here's the question. How do you do it? How do you demonstrate respect? I know what society has been telling you and I lately. You demonstrate respect to those who are on your side. Would you agree with that that's what we're being taught? You demonstrate to respect to those on your side who believe the way you think, believe, that think the way you think, with the same religion you have, the same political party, the same financial status. You respect those who are like you. But the Bible says, no, 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 no. 1 Peter 2.17 says, respect how many people? What's the word? Respect. Let's say it again. Respect. One more time. Respect. Everyone. Now the question is, what is respect? respect? I mean, we throw the word out, but what is it? Biblically speaking, the word literally means to honor them. It means to treat another with high regard. So how do you start honoring somebody else? How do you start, you know, treating them as if they are worthy of high regard? How do you show this respect to all people? Well, it starts with accepting our differences. That's how you honor somebody. You accept our differences. In fact, it's it's really biblical because you go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, and God let us know we have differences. And, and society's saying, no, you only respect those who are just like you. The Bible says, no, you respect all people. And God lets us know in the beginning, all, we're different. Genesis 1.27, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. You see, the most obvious way to start to practice this idea of that there are differences is to understand that there's a difference between a man and a woman. I mean, God just wired us up differently, and there's no more better example to prove that than by this thing alone. Right? This, is, this, and there's, this right here tells us we're not the same. We're created differently, and we're called to accept and even respect our differences. What does the guy want to watch? Yeah, you know, the guy wants football. Yeah, I like how you said that, football. <laughs> ESPN, Sports Center, the golf channel. He wants to watch, you know, people get blown up and limbs cut off and maybe watch the news. What about her? She wants to watch, you know, this is up. This is us. <laughs> this is up. That was a slip of the tongue, right? That's a movie, isn't it? She wants to watch This Is Us and Fixer Upper and Gilmore Girls and Downton Abbey. So I had to research this myself because I, I, I didn't know. So I, I Googled this. I, I t- here's what I Googled. I said, most popular TV shows for women. Now, the first hit that I got was 21 TV shows every woman needs to watch. 
So I clicked on it. I looked through the list. Here's just what was an observation I made. I don't watch a single one of them, and I have no interest in watching a single one of them. I went through and did the same thing for guys. You know what I discovered? I've watched almost all of them. Heather's watched hardly any of them. We're different. The ideal team player accepts, and listen, we accept, and then we celebrate our differences. This is the summer I decided to watch a rewatch, re-binge watch a, a sci-fi show that I watched years ago. I mean, it was four seasons, three movies, watched it, you know, and every night, Heather would just dread it. I mean, she hated every night. And I'm like, babe, 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 just accept our differences. Man, if you could accept our differences and, babe, if you could celebrate our differences, I can even use you in the sermon as a great illustration about how awesome you are with this. The reality is I pick on her shows way more than she picks on mine. But we use that to illustrate that respect starts with genuinely accepting our differences, our diversity, our uniqueness, and then celebrating that. Celebrating the different perspectives, the different way we see things. Accepting even the way we do things differently. So what about in your work environment, maybe? You work around others and you say, hey, I'm going to value human life and I'm going to do that by showing respect. And what is respect? It's accepting. How's that play out in your work environment? Well, a little, little confession on my end. Darla Blanton is our children's director here at LifePoint. And I got to tell you, Darla and I could not be more opposite. For those who know me and those who know Darla, right? I could not be more opposite in terms of personalities, ways of thinking, ways to accomplish something. And so in those early moments and months and years, I got to tell you, don't tell anybody, she kind of drove me nuts. (laughs) I mean, she did. I mean, she's just, because Darla, she's kind of like, I get laser focused on things. She's kind of here and there and you know, I'm organized, and you know, and so, <laughs> and, I, and I'd be like, Darla, I want the facts, like I need the information from her, and it literally it would take five minutes, if Mark and I were talking, we'd be done in five minutes, we'd have this conversation, but Darla, the meeting would take an hour, because she'd want to tell me stories about whatever that was related to. Now, this isn't a Darla roast, hang with me. <laughs> I actually talked to her and said, you know, can I share this? Through my time reading leadership books, attending leadership summits, God taught me something. God taught me to see her, to accept what we're talking about, to love and even appreciate our uniqueness, our differences. I grew to respect our differences. This is the reason Darla has been on staff with me for 13 or so years. No other staff member has been on this team as long as Darla has. Why is she on the team? Because she's phenomenal. She's incredible. And if you know her, you know she has, praise God. You know, if you know her, or if you have kids or grandkids, you know nobody loves those kids more than her except for you, right? Nobody loves them more. Nobody loves the parents more. Her heart for those kids and those kids to learn about Jesus and come to know Jesus and to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, there is no one like her. In the process, I discovered also as I started seeing Darla, she has better insight on other people 
than I do because of the relationships. And so she's the first person I go to when I wonder about you. (laughs) She's going to have the best insight. Our church is better because Darla is on our team. Don't miss this. Please don't miss this. I discovered what was always there when I finally embraced our differences. Are you catching this right now? You have people in your life who, they might drive you crazy or nuts. She didn't drive me crazy anymore. You know, I, I, I'm ready for the five-minute meeting that I know is going to be an hour, and I'm all good with it. <laughs> I am. I'm totally good with it. Sometimes not, and I tell her, darling, we're doing this in 30 minutes, you know. But, <laughs> but I'm good with it now. You have people who, you know, they might drive you crazy on the surface. You have people you might disagree with. You might have people you have big issues with. Some might even be like major, major, major issues with people. But if you want to be an ideal player, learn to accept those differences and grow with them. Come on, Chris. That sounds so Dr. Phil-like. It sounds so self-help. Just accept people? That's a good question. Fair enough. Okay, I I get it. Fair enough. So just accept people. What does the Bible say? Romans chapter 15, verse 7. Let's read the two words out out loud, first three words out loud together. One, two, three. Accept each other. Oh, wait, that sounds like Jesus, not Dr. Phil. Accept each other. Just as Christ accepted you, look at this, so that God will be given glory. Now that word accept in the Greek, it's a very interesting word. It has the idea of, you ready for this? The word accept has the idea of receiving somebody anyways. Anybody tracking with me? Did that, some of you, did that go over? Receiving somebody anyways, which is implied what? That somebody drives you nuts. Somebody drives you crazy. Somebody you don't get along with. You're not on the same page with. Accept them anyway. If I said anyways, I meant anyway for those wordsmith people. <laughs> did I do it, babe? Did I say it anyway? I think I said it out loud. <laughs> I was going too fast there. That, that was the problem there. Unconditional. Regardless of our differences, if they bug us, whatever the case may be, when we accept someone and our differences, the Bible says God gets the glory when you demonstrate that towards others. I love what Ruth Graham said about her husband, the late evangelist Billy Graham. She said, my job is to love and respect Billy. It's God's job to change him. (laughs) And yet I think we've all reversed that, right? (laughs) I have been tasked by Almighty God to fix them. Again, another little confession. I've had to learn this the hard way. It's cost me years and years of, of relational capital with my lovely wife, because I thought my, part of my role, you ready for this craziness? Part of my role as a husband, who happens to be a pastor, a teacher, a preacher, one who has been created by God to help others, I thought it was my job to teach Heather lessons about doing something correctly. Correctly literally means my correctly. Now, I'm just curious, does anybody here think that that was a good idea? Raise your hand. Does anybody think that was a bad idea? Raise your hand. Where were you 20 years ago? (laughs) I could have used you back then. 
Accept our differences. Grow with them. It's God's job to do the changing anyway. It's not easy. It's not easy to travel down this path of of accepting people, meeting them where they're at. But you have a God who accepted you. You have a God, the Bible says in 1 John 4, 19, we love because God first loved us. We can't do this on our own, what I'm talking about today. We've got to have a supernatural love from God that overflows and flows out of our life to other people, to all type of people, the good, the bad, the ugly. And as you and I tap into that relationship with God vertically, then we're able to move to love one another in an uncommon way, showing what true value is, showing what true respect is. Maybe you're here this morning and you have yet to receive this indescribable love of God. Maybe you're hearing all this and you're like, man, that's incredible and I want that. Listen, God loves you so much. And he demonstrated that love in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, and he demonstrated that by going to a cross and dying on a cross so that you and I could live, so that your sins could be forgiven, so you could have a relationship with him for eternity. And he's inviting every single person this morning into that incredible relationship. He values you that much. He loves you that much. It's the most important relationship you will ever enter into. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior yet, I want to tell you, when you say you recognize God loves you and you want to have a relationship with you, with you, he's going to empower you and he's going to equip you. He's going to help you demonstrate this kind of love that we're talking about today. And I want to ask you the question with everybody's heads bowed, with your eyes closed. Some of you here this morning, it's time to invite Jesus into your life for the first time. He loves you. He thinks you're incredibly valuable. He created you in his image. And he respects us so much that he didn't force us to live a certain way. He gave us the choice to accept him. God, would you hear our prayers this morning as we call out to you? Lord God, I pray for those who, they have some relationships that are kind of bad and maybe even some are ugly. And they haven't been building those relationships on value and respect. God, help us turn our hearts in this direction. God, would you even give a picture of a person in someone's mind's eye right now? And as you're sitting there, as God brings somebody to your mind, would you ask God to give you the humility to see them as created in in God's image? That he give you the ability to love through value and respect. God, there's some here this morning who need to know you as Lord and Savior for the very first time. And if you're here this morning and you're ready to say, I know God loves me and I want a relationship with him, would you pray with me right now? It's not these exact words. It's more that you mean it in your heart. Just pray something like this. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me so much that you would come to this earth to die on a cross so that I could live. Right now, as best as I understand, Jesus, I'm asking you to come into my life, to be my Lord, to be my Savior. I surrender my life to you. I want to experience this love, and I want to demonstrate it to others. So thank you, God, for setting me free, for giving me a new life. 
In Jesus' name. God, you've heard these prayers today. We worship you, God. Your love is the picture that we seek, that we go after, that, that that's how we can show value and respect to others. Thank you, God, for your word as we come right now to this time in our service, even to worship you in a different way, to worship you by the giving of our offering. Use this for your kingdom and for your glory. And I ask for this, God. I pray for this, knowing, God, that you will receive the glory in all of this. In your name we pray. Amen.